You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Today on our Norwalk campus, Pastor Ken Bringus continues our series, God With Us, with a message on redefining our present. Listen, there's a lot of joy to be had in this holiday season. And yet, you know, there's also a lot of hurting people. And um, so I am just trusting that this morning and... Uh, even for you and your families, that you'll experience the joy that there is, but not so much the... Sometimes there's joy that's just happy because things are going well. But joy feels a little different when things aren't going so well. And you still need to draw on the joy of the Lord that is your strength. So joy in those moments doesn't exactly feel like happiness. It feels like strength. God's keeping me together. How many of you need that kind of joy today? Come on. So this morning, I want to continue in our series. We've been talking about this idea of God being with us. And back in the 70s, there there was this space program that they started, NASA started, where they they launched these two spacecrafts into outer space, um, the Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. Some of you remember that because you were born back then or alive back then, <laughs> old enough to remember. And interestingly enough, in these Voyager spacecrafts, they decided, um, th- the point of those space- spacecrafts were to, to send them out into the, to explore, you know, the universe, the planets, and all that. They didn't really know how long these things were going to be out there. But there was this um, one little project that they decided to include in that in that whole endeavor. And they, they put this thing on those spacecrafts called the Golden Record. The Golden Record was a, if you if put the, um, the thing up, the Golden Record was like a time capsule. And on this Golden Record, they put all kinds of things that would, just in case the Voyager spacecrafts would encounter life from, out, you know, from outside of Earth, like intelligent species outside of, you know, Earth, basically aliens, all right, um, that they would be able to know and learn about where the origin of the Voyager spacecraft came from and what life on this little blue dot called Earth was like. And, and so it was really fascinating because on that particular record, they put photographs, there's like 115 images of uh, Varieties of you know things happening on, on Earth and life on Earth and human beings and things like that. They had sounds like the sounds of the ocean, the sounds of thunder, birds, whales, all kinds of sounds. They had languages, music that was put, that was sung in different languages, like over 51 different languages on the Earth at that time. They even had a um, a message printed from then U.S. President Jimmy Carter on the Voyager spacecraft all on this golden record, all designed to communicate with any extraterrestrial life forms. It was pretty fascinating. I would argue that NASA was really attempting to scratch an existential itch because the golden record had information on it that was to represent Earth, but underneath all that information was a deeper question. The question that you and I and all of humanity carries deep in our soul, which is, are we really alone? Are we really alone in this universe? And there's this like existential fear in every one of us that in fact, 
we are. And it's interesting because in a strange way, that fear that we're, that we're alone is a reflection of our purpose, an indication that in fact our lives carry some significance and that meaning and significance are hardwired into us as human beings. We all long for this connection, for this relationship, for intimacy, to give love and to receive love. And while science calls it, you know, science won't talk about love, okay? Science will talk about being alone in the universe. That's the closest they can get. And not to, you know, not to diss science, right? It's, it's important. Science is important. But the deeper question is, man, are we alone? This is why we think it's a sad thing that people die alone in this world. That's why we believe that. It's sad that people die alone. It's why we all long for transcendence and something bigger and greater to give us meaning in life. C.S. Lewis, am I going to get the, the PowerPoint? Okay. If it, if it does, then I'll put it up there. The philosopher the, uh, C.S. Lewis once said, if the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. Just as if there were no light in the universe and therefore no creatures with eyes, we would never know it was dark. Dark would it be without meaning. In other words, the very fact that we as human beings question whether life has meaning means that it does have meaning. And so in the midst of our busy, active, and often lonely lives, what we do is we create our own golden record. And we send out our own search for an answer to the deepest questions of our soul, hoping to make a connection hoping that someone, someone out there is listening to us. So at the start of this Advent season, I want to remind you that God has found your golden record, and he has given us an answer to the deepest questions of our soul, especially the question, are we alone in the universe? And God's answer to that question, his answer is not, to give us a set of propositional truths. His answer to the question of our souls is not to give us another formula or even another religion. His answer to humanity's fear of being alone is the miracle of incarnation. His powerful, say powerful, purposeful, and personal presence in Christ. I want to dwell on these ideas about God's presence today, that it's powerful, it's purposeful, and it's personal. And I want to use a man, I don't want to do the Christmas story this morning. I want to skip way, way back to the Old Testament and highlight the life of a man named Gideon. Gideon lived in a time of the the Bible, ancient world, when it was full of chaos. In fact, Israel did not have a, a leader that they could look up to. They had no king. They were, they were being unfaithful to God who would have been their king, their leader, but they were unfaithful. They worshiped the gods of the Canaanite religion. And because of their unfaithfulness, they opened the doors to enemy attack. Listen, folks. There's another reason to be faithful to God than just because it's a good idea. 
When we're not faithful to God, we open the doors of our lives to enemy attack. This is the, this is the period of the judges. So what God did, because the people would, would be attacked by the enemy and they'd be oppressed by surrounding Canaanite nations, and, and this was a real oppression. It was economic. You know, I mean, the military, they, 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 they didn't have a strong military, so they were just getting beat up by all of these other nations. And so they would cry out to God, and God, in his goodness, would respond by giving Israel a judge or raising up a judge. Now, don't think Judge Judy or Judge Mathis. It's not that kind of judge. The judge that God raised up, think more like um, Denzel Washington in The Equalizer. Okay, that kind of judge, right? Or for those of you who like Filipino movies, think uh, Fernando Poe Jr. in Hindi Pataposang Laban. <laughs> the war is not over, right? He raised up a deliverer, a leader who would literally raise up some kind of military strength to oppose the enemy and deliver Israel out of their oppression. Okay, so that, this is the time in which Gideon lives. And uh, there were judges like Gideon who on the surface didn't seem to qualify as judges. Now, Gideon would eventually experience the powerful presence of God. He would experience God's miraculous strength on his behalf to defeat the enemies and bring victory. But to get to that point, there were some challenges Gideon had to face because he knew God was with him somewhat, but we're going to see in this passage that he kind of doubted that. Listen, Many of us grew up with this idea that, yes, God is with us, but not very many of us experience the transforming power of that truth on a regular basis. And I want to show you in the life of Gideon why that might be. So in Judges 6, here's some of the story. He says, it says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah, the town of Oprah. No connection to... Okay, Chicago. Uh, and it belonged to Joash the Ab Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Okay, the Midianites are the ones oppressing Israel. So Gideon's here in the town of Oprah, and he's threshing wheat in a place where, he, where you don't really thresh wheat. You're not supposed to thresh wheat in a wine press. In a wine press, you press wine. You don't thresh wheat. So what's he doing here? Well, he's hiding He's afraid that if, he, if he's found out and discovered that the Midianites are going to come in and, and attack. So the angel of the Lord in verse 12, it says, appeared to Gideon. Now, okay, so this is one of those Old Testament passages. It's kind of mysterious, but most scholars believe that this particular um, appearance of the angel of the Lord is actually a pre-incarnate form of, of God. Okay, so this is not just the angel of the Lord, this is God himself, right, showing up in Gideon's backyard, and he says to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So God shows up and he says, I'm going to encourage you, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. Now watch his response. Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Okay, now maybe it's just me. But if you had an angel encounter, if God himself showed up and said, the Lord is with you, I am with you, mighty warrior, and you saw a visible manifestation of this, right, 
Usually the response is, wow, thank you. I can't, I'm just going to fall on my face and worship you, right? But look what Gideon says. He goes, pardon me, where is all this cynicism coming from, dude? Like, why are you questioning this? He goes, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord, so this is Gideon's conclusion. After hearing all the Twitter feeds and all the Facebook posts about how God is not with us because, look, we're suffering. How can God be with us? Where are all, the, where his, all his great works that, he, that our ancestors told us about? His conclusion is, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. So God tells Gideon the truth. He says, Gid, Gid, I'm with you. And Gideon says, if that's true, why are we suffering? So one thing that can keep us from experiencing the power of God's presence in its transformational effect upon our lives, okay? I'm talking about not just knowing that God is with you up here as a fact, but experiencing the power of this. One thing that keeps us from that is our perspective on human suffering. Do we understand suffering as a signal that God is powerless? Do we understand suffering as proof that God maybe doesn't care? It's like the whole, you know, theodicy debate. Is God really all that powerful? Because if he was, he would, he would stop all this. Or does God really care? Because maybe he's powerful, but he's just cruel and he doesn't care. And he chooses not to do anything about all this suffering, right? And the answer that you would have to that question really depends on the story that you choose to believe. If you believe the story of neo-atheism, which really boils down to the fact that the universe is all about mathematics, then the challenge is how do you mathematically explain human suffering? How do you mathematically explain injustice or our innate desire to make this world a better place? It's hard to do that through physics and through finite math or infinite, whatever you want to call it, right? Even if God didn't exist, ask yourself this question, would there still be human suffering? And if the answer is yes, then you've got to believe a certain story about why that is. Because stories provide meaning. Some of you believe a story about a God who is powerless or perhaps a God who is vindictive. Oh, we're suffering because I just committed way too much sin. Right. And there's some truth to that. Because the story that we believe, the Christian story, the story of Scripture shows us that suffering is a result of humanity's choice to forfeit. Some of you may not have heard it this way. But humanity, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the garden they also forfeited their rulership, their dominion, their power and authority over creation. Who did they forfeit it to? They gave it to the enemy, the devil, the snake. So there's this interesting combination of sin and Satan that are in the picture that create this world of suffering. Why, do, why is there suffering in the world? We brought it upon ourselves. Why, oh, why is there suffering in the world? Oh, there's a, there's a sinister will behind this as well, you see. 
Sometimes we suffer because Satan is trying to directly or indirectly cause that suffering. Sometimes we suffer because we made really bad choices. And that's why it is. Sometimes it's a combination. But listen, no matter where it's coming from, we need to stay. I'm here to tell you, God is good. And God is powerful. And God cares about your situation. Christmas is proof of that. So it's not because God is not good, and it's not because God is not powerful. On the contrary, God had the power to push the reset button and start the world and creation and humanity all over again. Let's start a new, let's do human race second edition. But he chose not to. There's something way too valuable he put in us. Instead, he chose to rescue us, and that's the story of Christmas. So just a practical point. When you're suffering and you know it's because of dumb choices you've made, repent. Change your mind. Confess your sin. Admit you were wrong. Is that so hard? For some of you, it will be because there's this thing called pride. No, I'm not going to say I'm wrong. No, I'm never going to say that I, I really didn't know where to go. I just told my wife I knew where to go because of my pride as a man, whatever. Admit your pride, confess your sin, and move on. Sometimes we suffer because of sins that other people commit against us and that affect us. And so when that happens, guess what you do? You forgive. You grieve what you've lost, and you choose to grow. Say forgive. forgive. Man, this, holidays is a good time to remember that, you know? Because, you know, you got family coming around. you got folks coming around, your table, your home, your household. You, 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 you look at all those Costco cards that you, you created with your family. You go, should we send these folks a card? Really, should we, after what they did to us? Right? It's a good time, it's a good time to forgive, grieve what you lost, and grow. Yeah. But listen, there's also times when suffering happens because the enemy doesn't like the direction you're going. If he liked the direction you're going, he wouldn't mess with you. But the minute you said, I choose to follow God's path, I choose to follow God's way, I choose to live the life that's offered to me in Christ, you, you just put a target on your back. And this is the part we don't like to talk about because it's kind of mysterious. It's like, you know, my daughter has been recovering from pneumonia for the past three weeks. And when she got pneumonia, it was on Thanksgiving um, week. They, they had the whole week of Thanksgiving off, right? And, and we thought it was the flu. And, and then it turned out to be pneumonia. And now we're like, oh, no. And she's getting antibiotic shots. And then somewhere in the midst of that, I remembered people die from pneumonia. Right? Because I was treating it like, oh, it's just the flu. She'll be fine. It'll get over it. And then one morning... Uh, the day before she got these two really big and painful antibiotic shots, I woke up early in the morning and I, I just, you know how you wake up sometimes and you go, what is it, God, you want me to do, right? If you wake up early in the morning, you're bothered by something, a good rule of thumb is pray. Like, go to God, like, don't drink coffee, you know, don't read the newspaper, you know, don't get on social media, because I know some of you do that, right, when you wake up in the morning, you pick up your phone and go, what's on Facebook, what's on Instagram? Don't do that. Just go and seek God. Go and pray. I, I got up, and I'm like, God, I need to pray. And I felt like I needed to pray for my daughter. 
Because I felt like this isn't just a sickness that just was happenstance. Even though I knew that she caught this sickness from some of their friends in her science class, even her teacher in her science class had pneumonia, believe it or not. Crazy, right? But why, out of all those people, why my daughter at this point in her life, right? I'm asking all those questions. Then I realized God was just prompting me, cover your basis because the enemy wants, is looking for any little foothold to get in. Sometimes you just got to cover your bases, folks. So I prayed. I prayed about, I don't know how long I prayed. I just asked, I prayed against all the powers of hell, all the powers of darkness, all the sinister will of the, the enemy and hell that's set against our family, against, you know, our church, against my daughter. You know what? Listen, the enemy knows that God has a destiny on every single human life and part of fulfilling that destiny, part of unlocking that destiny is coming to Christ and it unlocks the redemptive purpose in your life that you were made for. On this side of heaven, you've got a purpose to fulfill. And the enemy knows this about every human life. That's why he keeps you from choosing for God. And he keeps you trying to, he keeps you numb to the reality of his presence. He can numb you out through anything you pick, especially nowadays, man. There's 360 degrees multiple seduction, and it's all coming through the media. I don't know why I said that, but it's for somebody. I realized in those moments that if I don't step into the battlefield on the, in the spirit, on the, onto the spiritual battlefield and do a little battle for my daughter, that this might not turn out the way we thought, you know? I don't know. I'm not going to wait to find out. I'm going to just obey God, right? I'm going to cover my basis in prayer and pray prayers of authority against darkness. We did that again today, this morning, for my other son. <laughs> it's welcome to the Christian life, my friends. You thought it was boring. You thought it was just about coming to church once a week. You thought about going to a life group and having a great time with your friends. No, welcome you. When you became a believer, you stepped into a world at war. You think Christmas was a nice little sentimental baby Jesus, Santo Nino, you know. You know, Jesus, when he was born, he was born on the hit list of a man and an evil king named Herod. And babies died. This is the dark side of the Christmas story, by the way. And, and, and many years later, an apostle named John is sitting on the island of Patmos and he starts to prophesy and out of that prophecy he starts talking about a woman and a dragon and a woman giving birth to a son and there it is the Christmas story in the book of Revelation and it's not nice and neat and sanitized it's all out war some of the reasons you're suffering is because there's a sinister will set against you no wonder the Lord comes to Gideon and says, Gideon, mighty warrior, I'm going to use you. <laughs> Let me tell you the second reason why we often don't experience the powerful presence of God transforming our reality. You ready? This one's deep. God says to Gideon, Gideon, go in the strength that you've been given and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. I'm about to send you. Ready? Go. 
Look what Gideon says. He says, pardon me, Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. God, haven't you noticed? I'm not qualified by the standards of my tribe, my clan, my family. I'm not qualified to be the deliverer that you just told me I am. Gideon not only calls attention to his qualifications, he's the weakest in Manasseh, he also calls attention to his status. I'm the least in my family. Like, if you were to pick a deliverer out of all my brothers, it wouldn't be me. I would be last on the list. Kind of like David, you know, Samuel picking, anointing David. He's the least one you would expect. In other words, God, I don't have what it takes. Have you seen my life lately, God? I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough for this calling. I'm not good enough for this job. Pick someone else. You know what that is? Somewhere in there is this thing called shame. Shame says, I don't have what it takes. I'm not good enough for the job. I'm not good, period. This is why Brene Brown's TED Talk went viral several years ago. That TED Talk on shame, if you haven't listened to it, listen to it. Over a million people have already. Obviously, it's touching a nerve. Shame is that nagging sense of not good enoughness. It's that deep inner sense of not feeling that you're good enough. Like, there's something inherently wrong with me, and therefore, I am bad and I must not matter. Okay, it's different than guilt. Guilt says, I did something wrong, therefore, my behavior needs to change. Okay, we, you know, we experience guilt. Guilt can be a good thing. But shame goes further than guilt. It says, you're not just bad because of your behavior. You're just, your very essence is bad. And you are powerless to change that. So the best thing you can do is hide because you feel shame. Don't even, don't even you dare step up and answer the call that God is placing on your life. Because you're just not good enough. And many of us have internalized these messages all around us. Man, it's all over our culture. It's all over our life experience. It's there. Every one of us deals with it. We hide because of shame, just like Adam and Eve when they realized they were naked. What did they do? They, they hid. They tried to cover themselves up with fig leaves. There ain't a fig leaf big enough to cover up your shame. <laughs> so stop trying. Because, listen, the gospel is that the Lord came and took on himself our shame, our not good enoughness. In fact, it says in Hebrews that Jesus endured the cross. What did he do to shame? It says he scorned the shame. He despised the shame. He didn't just let shame have its way. He actively resisted the shame. And you know what? If you have Christ in your life, you can do this, the same. God can break the shackles of shame off of your life. 
He can break the shackles of shame. Some of you, you know, the reason you won't get involved in the life of the church is not because your schedule is all whacked. (laughs) And it's not because there haven't been enough people that you like in the church to serve with, okay? All those excuses don't work anymore. Bottom line, it's because you don't feel you're good enough. You can apply that to every other arena of life. I, I wrestle with shame. You know, even as a pastor, can you imagine? Yeah, you know, they make you read all these things about how you need to be a good pastor, and this is what a good pastor does, and, you know, the devotional time, and all the, requ- all the, the list of what, it, what a good leader, a great leader should be. You're telling me that doesn't create some shame when I look at that list that's 15 pages long? How are you supposed to live up to that? We all struggle with it, man. And Jesus wants to set us free from it, man. Because the only way you're going to live up to that is through him and not on your own strength. So this is why for Gideon, okay, so those are the two things. Your, your, your perspective on human suffering and your experience of shame, they keep us from ex- experiencing the transforming power of the presence of God. But listen, not only is God's presence powerful, it's also purposeful. God is sending Gideon to do something with his presence. He's sending Gideon to accomplish a purpose much larger than himself. God's presence isn't just for you to feel good about yourself. He's got a purpose behind his presence. Say, there's a purpose behind the presence. And he says this to Gideon. I'm sending you, Gideon. Go in the strength that you have. Now, I don't think God, when he says go in the strength that you have, I don't don't think he's saying... Um, Gideon, you can accomplish this on your own strength, whatever little strength you have. I think what God is saying is, Gideon, take what you do have. Stop waiting to qualify for what you think is qualifying for you. And take the strength that you do have and invest it into me by faith and step out and I will meet you. I will increase that strength. That's how God works. You're never going to feel qualified enough, man, to answer the call of God. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about ministry. I'm talking about stuff that God's called you to do in this life, roles he's called you to embrace. Right? Like, you know how they ask you, or they used to ask some of you when you were single, when are you going to get married? Right? When, 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 when? And there's a part of you that's like, I don't know. How, do I, how am I supposed to know? Sometimes it's hard to know. But underneath, there's, that, there's a calling to be a husband. There's a calling to be a wife, right? How are you going to qualify for that? You don't know. God says, go in the strength that you do have. Take that step of faith. And if you put me in the center, I'll meet you there. <laughs> am I talking to someone today? Okay. God says, go in the strength you have. And so remember the story? Gideon's like, okay, okay, God, if it's really you, I'm going to take this fleece. I'm going to put it out. And in the morning when I wake up, I pray, God, if it's really you, confirm it to me. 
Yeah, you ever had that conversation with God? If this is really you speaking, confirm it to me. Then let the fleece be dry and let everything around it be wet. And it happens, right? And then the next, I might be getting this out of order, but, but he does the other opposite. He goes, okay, God, thanks for that confirmation, but could you get a second one? Because, <laughs> you know, this is a big decision, right? It is the Midianites, you know. You call, I know you called me a mighty warrior and all that stuff, but, man, you haven't seen my life. So, God, second confirmation. I'll put the fleece out again. This time make the fleece wet and everything dry or whatever the opposite was, right? And it happened. Cool. So what does Gideon do? He's like, all right, God's with me. Let's go get the army. He rallies 32,000 men. That should be about enough to, to, to fight the Midianites, right? Absolutely. So God says, okay, gather all those men, those 32,000 men. Gideon, and here's what I'm going to do, Gideon. We're going to whittle these guys down. I want you to just ask them one question. Because, you know, you want courageous men fighting for you. Gideon goes, yeah, I want courageous men. So God says, okay, get all 32,000 together, ask them this question. Say, whoever is too scared to go into battle against the Midianites, you can all go home. 22,000 men left. Wimps, right? Come on, dude. Uh, okay, 10,000, that should be enough. God says, no, no, still too much. Right, so you know the story. He takes him down to the river, and the guys that, that lap the water like dogs, you know, get rid of those dudes, you know. And the guys that, you know, kneel down with their weapon in hand did this. Guess how many of those guys? 300. That's it. Against thousands of Midianites. <laughs> and so follow me. God is saying, Gideon, go in the strength that you have. He's not saying go, just do it on your own. He says, start with what you've got, Gideon. Okay, God, I got 32,000. Okay, let me work with that. Sometimes we think God's working to it, working on it to increase it. Sometimes God has to decrease it to make it effective. What in your life? You've been thinking, give, give me more, give me more. God says, you don't need more. You need less. Because little is much when God is in it. <laughs> so God, Gideon wins the victory with 300 men, and it's plain and clear as day to everyone involved that it was God's strength, miraculous power, working out his purpose through Gideon's life. He wants to do the same with you. His presence is powerful, his presence is, pur is purposeful, and his presence is personal. In Gideon's case, God said to him, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. You know what the, the name Gideon means? Gideon means the one who bruises or breaks or destroys. Like Gideon already had a cool name. Gideon the destroyer. Come on, man, you could make an action movie out of that, right? But God had to step into his world and say, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. Did you forget your name? Wouldn't it be cool if God called us and, like, attached 
a little, you know, phrase after our name that spoke of our potential destiny, like Edgar, the wise leader, or Miriam, mother to the motherless, or James, teacher to the young, or Dan, protector of the peace, or Valerie, friend, friend to the wounded, Joan, coach to the stuck, Brandon, mentor to the lost. Right? It'd be cool if God did that. Listen, I think he does. God calls every one of us by name. He names your value. He names your potential. And yes, he loves you for who you are, regardless of whether you live up to that potential or not. But listen, personal, when God's, I say God's presence is, pers- is personal, it doesn't mean that necessarily it's, it's like private or that it's self-centered. For God's presence to be personal, personal means that God takes your uniqueness into consideration when he relates to you. How many of you have been to a Christmas party this year already? Okay, you're about to if you haven't been. And then in one of those Christmas parties, inevitably, they do this thing called the white elephant gift, right? And you bring these gifts, and you put all those gifts in a circle, right? And what, what did they let you do in a white elephant gift? Yeah. Now, yeah. And, and did you ever, like, have you ever been in that awkward space right, where somebody gets a gift, and you can tell they really like that gift, but you know that gift is going to get stolen, man. <laughs> and what is the rationale? The person who steals the gift, cold-blooded killer, right? They're like, what's the rationale? The rationale is, hey, it's not personal. (laughs) This is not a personal gift-giving interaction, folks. Or like those of you who have parties and they say, bring a gag gift. Those gifts are not personal, people. Don't take it personal. When the gift is personal, it's because it took some unique part of you into consideration, your thoughts, your feelings, your character, your experience, and they shaped it according to that, and you received it, and it felt personal. God's gift of himself is like that to us. Personal, not distant, not aloof, but involved, engaged, given with the uniqueness of you in mind, given with your story in mind, given with your bad history in mind, given with all your shame and sadness in mind. It's personal. That's why the Word becomes flesh and moves into the neighborhood. He gets up close and personal. And I want to end with this today. The Lord knows you better than you know even yourself. He knows your darkest secrets. He knows your deepest joys. He knows your humanity. He knows all your regrets. He even knows the shame that you don't realize you're living under. He was Jesus, God in a bod, walking with us. This is not just, I'm with you. I'll stand over here and watch you do it. This is, I have entered into your experience. And I am willing to suffer your experience. You know that someone's with you to the extent that they are willing to suffer with you, right? This is why New Life likes to call itself a place of belonging. You know where that comes from? Yeah, you hear that. You hear us say that. 
We, we, we don't really say, I don't say it lightly. We're a place of belonging. Because in our story, our church began because a gang from Los Angeles found Jesus. But you know how gangs are. Gangs have this thing amongst them. They came together because of a bond. And that bond said something like, I, as a part of this gang, am willing to take a bullet for you, my homie. Over the stupidest thing, I'll take a bullet over you. It's crazy, right? But put aside crazy for a second and capture the heart. I'm willing to take a bullet for you. Now, this, is, this was the gang. The gang of young people that started our church back in the late, early 80s. When they came to Jesus, when they said yes to Christ and they disbanded their gang, thank God they still had this, I'm willing to take a bullet for you, Marvin. But now I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower, so I'm not going to hurt anybody over it, but, but I'm willing to take a bullet for you. I'm willing to sacrifice for you, bro. Can you imagine the kind of unity, the kind of love, the kind of fellowship we had because of that? When people laid down their lives sacrificially, now it used to be for a gang that had no purpose, no purpose worth living for, and now it was for the God of the universe through Jesus who gave them purpose, you see? It, for them, was personal. And it, for you, is personal as well. So this morning, tell the person next to you, God's presence is powerful. It's purposeful. And it's personal. It's going to hit right there. That's my prayer for you this Christmas. I want to close with this. This is a weird way to close. There's some of you who have lost loved ones. I already know, and I want to just extend my um, public condolences on behalf of all of our New Life family to the Baeza family. Are you guys here? Where are, the, where are the bases? Are they there? You're sitting right there. Malou, Ramon. I don't know if I see Andre. Is that Andre back there? Dre? I called you Dre. I can't believe I just called you Dre. I, I, I was praying, you know, the Lord brought you to mind this morning, but I also feel this word is for a lot of people. There's some of you who lost loved ones this past year in the Lord, like they were believers. And they passed away with an unfulfilled purpose. They may have fulfilled part of it while they were here on earth, but they didn't fulfill all of it, for what it because, of, because the Lord took them early or they passed on maybe before their time. And th that's a mysterious thing. It's hard for us to know, and we always question why and all this. But I felt like I just needed to give this word. It's the first time I've given a word like this, so it's, it's kind of just bear with me. But I can see those loved ones in heaven standing next to Jesus you can see Jordan standing next to Jesus in his right mind, his full capacity saying to you his family 
I've got a purpose that was left unfulfilled. Will you pick up the mantle of my purpose and fulfill it this side of heaven? And God will be with you as you do. And there's some of you here, this is going to bring comfort to your soul because you've lost people that you've loved. And, you know, I didn't know you were going to be here today. I knew the Baezas would be here. But I sensed the Lord saying, one of the things that will help you overcome some of the grief is to remember that they had an unfulfilled destiny that is now being placed in your court. Figure out what that was. Ask the Lord, Lord, what is it of their unfulfilled purpose that I'm to carry out this side of heaven and continue their legacy for the kingdom. So listen, if that's you today, I want you to just receive, take that word in and ask God as we leave today, Lord, as I remember my loved one, as I remember this person who's passed on, as I picture them in your presence, as I picture all the joy they're experiencing, this is not just about me grieving their loss and moving on, but it's also about me asking you, would you allow me to take on whatever was left of their unfulfilled destiny and living that out in some way, shape, or form in my life? Because it's all about the kingdom when it's all said and done. And the Lord will be with you. Stand to your feet. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.